0: Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies, and today we're going to talk about postpartum depression, anxiety, and stress. Now, it's estimated anywhere from 15 to 20% of new parents' experiences, and let's also say that's just of those that have reported this, so the numbers can be so much higher. So we're going to talk about what does that even look like? What are some of the signs and symptoms of that? How to get help? We're going to talk about common scenarios that can feel really isolating and overwhelming and anxiety-producing. And we're also going to talk about how to identify which thoughts are common scary thoughts and which thoughts need to be explored further by a professional. So there is a lot packed into this conversation. And to have this talk, I have Karen Kleinman. Let me tell you a little bit about her. She's a well-known international maternal mental health expert with over 35 years of experience. As an advocate and prolific author of numerous groundbreaking books on postpartum depression and anxiety, her work has been and widespread on the internet and within the mental health community for decades. In 1988, Karen founded the Postpartum Stress Center, a treatment and training facility for prenatal and postpartum depression and anxiety. And in 2022, she founded the Karen Kleiman Training Center, which is dedicated to the advancement of clinical expertise and therapeutic strategies for the treatment of perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. Karen also has a very popular book called Good Moms Have Scary thoughts. I got it. I got it on Amazon. It is fantastic. And this book has proven to be an empowering tool for moms and families looking for information and support. I cannot say enough amazing things about Karen. She is knowledgeable. She's empathetic. She has tools I really enjoy this conversation, but what's more important is that this is an important conversation for those pregnant to hear, for those that are in the trenches of postpartum to hear, and for those that may be considering getting pregnant again after having um, some sort of postpartum depression, anxiety, or stress. If there's fear about heading down that route again, Karen really has some great support for you. So I'm excited for you to hear that. Now, before I get to my chat with Karen, just as always, I like to say thank you for having... everyone here is part of the community and watching our community grow. So our classes in studio continue to grow. We've actually added more in person and more online classes. So more yoga for everyone. (laughs) Yay. And we've also have more on our on-demand library. So we're at the point, I think at this point, every in studio workshop has a corresponding on demand workshop. So if you can't get to the Upper West Side and work with us in person, that's okay. Our amazing teachers offer this on demand so you can take it on your schedule on your time. So that's a new exciting addition. And then, last thing just to share is please, if you're interested in learning to teach our methodology of pre and postnatal yoga, check out our website. We do four prenatal trainings a year three online, one in person on, in New York City, and one postpartum training a year. That one's online. So we have a lot of ways to support the yoga community and our, our pregnant and postpartum community. So check all that out. And then the last thing I want to say is just more of a, a favor It's an ask. If you haven't already taken a moment to leave a rating or review for the podcast, I would be so appreciative if you could do that. And on that note, if you have a topic or a person that you want me to chat with, let me know. I'm always excited to speak to new people. You can reach me at deb at prenatalyogacenter.com or go to our website and fill out an application to be a guest speaker. All right, that's enough of me. We're gonna take a super quick break and when we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Karen. A revolutionary baby monitor is born. I want to introduce you to a brand new baby monitor, Massimo Stork. Mosmo Stork Baby Monitor tracks health indicators so you can get to know your baby better. Track your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and skin temperature with the high-resolution video and clear two-way audio from the Stork app. Please remember, Mosmo Stork is not meant to be used as a medical device. Hey, Karen, how are you?
1: Hi, Deb. I'm great. I'm great. Uh,
0: thank you for joining me. So as I talked about before I hit record, I did some deep diving into tracking you down to have this conversation because you are so well-versed in postpartum depression and anxiety. I am so excited to pick your brain because you real i mean you have so much knowledge so i guess before we get into that i'd love to learn a little bit more about you and what led you to focus on maternal mental health
1: yeah you know i've i've never really gotten a great short brief answer for this because it's something obviously i've been asked for a long time and i didn't have postpartum depression or anxiety but about 150 years ago when I had my first baby, right? We weren't, we weren't really talking a lot about this and we weren't talking about how moms felt. And, um, that wasn't really part of the conversation. It was more, how's the baby? Is everything okay? Good. Mm -hmm. And so what happened to me was actually, I had a, a medical issue. Everything was fine. And my baby had a medical issue separate. And so I learned pretty quickly and, everything turned out fine but i learned very quickly how to put it the only way i know how to put it how the needs of postpartum women fall through the cracks like i mm. didn't know where to go to talk you know i didn't i didn't know if i talked to my pediatrician i got one answer if i could talk to my mother i got another answer if i talked to you know my neighbor and everybody was telling me which way to go and what to do and i was tired i had a c section i was you know sleep deprived and it just made me realize how wow, we are not talking about this. And weirdly, I realized that in an ironic twist, we sort of had to pathologize this in order to normalize it, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. right? We needed to bring it to the surface because I was a therapist, you know, trained as a therapist. And I'm like, nobody's talking about, is there something not good about being a mom? Like is that even possible that not that being a mom can make you feel not so great given the circumstances and so it was a new concept for me, and I started observing and I started studying and I started asking questions and I do want to quickly just say that i i I put an ad in the paper and said in a local local newspaper and I said. A therapist is researching postpartum depression. If you've recently had a baby and you didn't like the way you felt, give me a call. I got three responses, Deb, and two of the three women were over 70 years old, which, of course, doesn't sound old to me now, but at the time it was very old. And And these two women who were 70 years old t- came in separately and told me about their stories of you know, 50 years before that, feeling scared and and de- depressed and, and confused and isolated and grief-stricken and anxious and didn't tell anybody and sort of sat in the darkness forever until it, you know, sort of, quote, got better by itself. And they both told me that I was the first person they had talked to about how bad it felt to be a mom. And I, I sort of felt like, mm, I think I got to do something about
0: this. <laughs> well, so interesting. Cause a few things from that story. One, I thought you were going to say 300. Like I really did when you're like, I got three and I was waiting for like right. 100 hundred right. because no. I feel it's so common. But then the other thing that's remarkable is that 50 years after they had their baby, they still carry that scar, which that's just right. shows how deep this is for it, how it was for them, but probably so many other people. That's right. Wow. That's exactly right. So let's keep diving into this. I guess we should start with maybe almost like a, a definition of people like, well, what is postpartum depression or anxiety? Um, because I think some people get confused with just, you know, like the baby blues per se. And then, so interesting, like your, your ad had three responses, but how many, I know there's data on this, how many new parents suffer from this? Cause it's more than three. It's you know that.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's hard to believe that after all this time and all the, you know, research and all the sort of data and statistics we have, there's still so many um, misunderstandings and definitions that are n- not accurate. And by the way, that's lay people, that's, you know, healthcare providers and so forth. And also, there's a lot of Sort of understandable misunderstandings, if you if you will, because it's just and I'll get to your definitions, and if I don't, then pull me back. But <laughs> okay. but um, because the postpartum period is so nuanced, you know, and and because there's an overlap of so many feelings and emotions and 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 sometimes symptoms that are quote normal that go with the normal postpartum period, and some that. Are not okay and that, that you know create concern in a, in a clinical or medical sense so so the the the, cle- the clear definition is basically that postpartum depression is the presence of a clinical depression that occurs after childbirth so it's the postpartum period within which a clinical depression occurs and in that sense it's exactly the same as every other depression but what's not the same is that there's a baby involved. There's Mm -hmm. urgency involved. There are postpartum variables involved like sleep deprivation and demands of a newborn and, you know, the transition to motherhood and, and, and so forth. So there are, it's layered with, you know, sort of conflated issues that just Mm -hmm. make it all very complicated. And it does, the statistics vary depending on what you read and who you read. And, um, but but by and large, you know, we we talk about uh fifteen to twenty percent, some people say, you know, 10 to 15 experience postpartum depression um and postpartum anxiety. Is
0: there, can I before you go into the definition of anxiety, is there kind of a cutoff date or is there like okay, you're yeah. it's a year postpartum, or and when does it typically
1: emerge? So yeah. Usually when we look at the continuum, th- this is the hard part because things sort of blur into each other. First of all, the postpartum year, and then most of us who specialize in it extend it to the first two years because of this added demands of having a new baby and, and the sleep and, and so forth. But generally you'll read that the first postpartum year, if depression occurs within that time frame, we call it postpartum depression. If the same symptoms emerge six years later, we call it Clinical depression, if you know what I mean. But the important cutoff that one, the one that seems to, the one that seems to be so hard for a lot of folks, including professionals, to really grasp, and it is the the line between baby blues and clinical depression. So baby blues is you know called all kinds of different things for many many years, but baby blues are quote normal they are universal they are hormonally driven it's it's because of the you know pre- precipitous drop in hormones it causes these mood shifts that we expect that we that we normalize you know sort of weepiness and You know, just sort of sadness, feeling overwhelmed, some emotional lability. I'm happy one minute and the next day I'm overwhelmed and I'm exhausted and so forth. It's just an emotional roller coaster. And it's so common that the statistics are everywhere from 80 to 100% of Mm -hmm. all new moms. Now, the piece that we're we're very strict about over many years is that it occurs two to three weeks postpartum because that's when the hormones start to change. Mm -hmm. And that's when we say... If those same symptoms occur and it's beyond three weeks postpartum, it is no longer the blues. And so, you know, we get cranky about... Doctors who send women home saying, oh, don't worry, you just have the blues, have a glass of wine, you you know, you take a walk, get some sunshine, talk to your husband, and she's six months postpartum, Mm -hmm. right? Or she's four months postpartum and so forth, and she's been feeling bad for a few months. So the two to three week marker is what tells us it's the blues most likely but because i say most likely because there are depressions that can start during that early period and unfortunately there's the more severe postpartum psychosis which also emerges within the first couple
0: All right. So let's keep going that. So I want to talk about anxiety, but we're going to put that on the back table and keep going down to the postpartum depression. So what are some of the symptoms that are more postpartum depression? And I guess let's throw in postpartum psychosis too, because if that can occur around the baby blues time, we should have those listeners
1: or those that are having the support system listen, should have a sense of what to look for. So Symptoms of postpartum depression can include mood swings, includes feeling fatigued, changes in appetite, sleep patterns. They can they can manifest as difficulty bonding with the baby, or over like hypervigilance with, mm. with the baby. There can be strong negative emotions like guilt and shame and. Uh, why did I have this baby and I made a mistake? Certainly one of the biggest symptoms, um, it's more of anxiety. I know we're going to talk about that, but but scary thoughts, lots of anxiety, lots of worry um, about harm coming to the baby, sometimes intrusive thoughts about me causing harm to the baby or or causing um, thoughts of self-harm and so forth. So those are symptoms that, you know, I, I do feel, I know I'm not being linear here with you, but I do feel this is a good time to tell you that because there's an overlap of baby blues and um, postpartum depression, we you know we one of the things that we do in terms of educating new moms is we tell them to be aware of what we refer to as the frequency and the duration and intensity of their the feelings. So it's not just what she's feeling. It's not just this as an emotion or as a symptom. It's how often is it happening? How long has it been going on? And how bad is it? Okay. So for instance, all new mothers cry. All new mothers cry. They cry when they can't figure out what to make for dinner. They cry when they, you know, don't know what to do for the baby because the baby's crying. They cry when they think their husband doesn't love them anymore. Their hormones are, you know, all over the place. All new moms cry. And so, what we want to get, what we want to assess is how often is this happening? How long has this been going on? And how much does it interfere with your day? And the frequency, duration, and intensity is what we call distress. We call that postpartum or perinatal or prenatal distress. And her distress is not necessarily a sign that there's anything wrong her distress tells us how much her symptoms are interfering with her day okay mm-hmm. and so um, so just to finish this up Person A can have high distress and sort of go to work or go through her day, feel like crap, do what she needs to do and go to bed at night. And person B can have the same level of distress and call for her, her mother to come over and call her doctor and say, I can't do this one more day. So it's her. it depends on her resilience. It depends on her history. It depends on her relationship. Do you see how many variables are involved? Right. And right. that's why it's so complicated. It's not like, oh, we have a blood test and you have postpartum depression.
0: Right, because it's also perceived. Each person's going to perceive it differently. That's right. So, what if we're talking about the length and the frequency? Where would somebody then say, "Wow, this has been going on for so... like, what is that cutoff?" Saying, "Okay, it's been a week. It's been two weeks. It's been just a little bit one day, but a little bit every day." Like, so where does somebody then start to notice that frequency is getting and the
1: length getting worrisome? Well, I hate to say this, but it's worrisome if it's worrisome okay. for, her. for her. It can be two days. It can be six months. There is not a, you know, clinically speaking, you, if you look at definitions of depression, we say, if you felt this way for two weeks or more. Okay. I mean, that's sort of the guideline that, that we, we see in books. But we say, mom, we say to moms who are pregnant or postpartum, if you don't like the way you feel... I want her to trust her instinct. Yeah, And, you know, first we want to start with self-care. We want to get her sleep. We want to make sure she's eating. We want to make sure she's, you know, uh, uh, maintaining stamina and getting some sunshine and feeling good and laughing and all that kind of stuff that we know to take care of ourselves. But if she doesn't like the way she feels, she needs to let a health care provider know. I trust, I, like I trust a mom when she says that she thinks something's wrong. It doesn't mean something terrible is happening but it means she's in touch with herself and she doesn't like the way she feels and she needs extra support. Mm, I like that. I actually really like that because we
0: don't want someone to be like, oh, I've only felt this way for two or three days. I have to wait for it to be worse. Like If they feel badly, act on it. So let's now switch to anxiety because I feel like that is more new and and people may not even realize it is an issue. I feel like, Postpartum depression is so much more commonly understood and known that postpartum anxiety, I think it, a lot of people, not even it's not even on their radar. So let's go into what the signs are, how we define that, kind of the same thing that you just did with depression.
1: Yeah. Um, so those of us who have studied postpartum depression know that postpartum depression is, has always been a very agitated depression, which is one of the things that dif- differentiates it from Other depression that's not related to childbirth, and so an agitated depression means that while you have depressive symptoms, you these can these can and often do coexist with symptoms of anxiety, and um, so we've always sort of treated both of them together, which is, you know, state of the art medication wise would be antidepressant antidepressants, which do target both anxiety and depression. So anxiety is sort of all over the place more now today than ever. And everybody feels anxiety and it's, you know, sort of an excessive level of, of worry. And it is, um, also dependent on all kinds of, you know, cultural and socioeconomic variables. And some women do very well with high levels of anxiety, and some women can't tolerate even low levels of anxiety. But it's usually with new moms, what's commonly... Scene is again excessive worry about the baby's well being, about the baby's health. Does she need a sweater? Is it too cold to go outside? Is somebody sick? Don't touch her. You know, am I a good mom? Is everything okay? Is she uh oh, uh oh? You know, so it's often um, anxiety is labeled with what if? You mm-hmm. know, what if I forget to do this? What if what if she stops breathing at night? What if I forget to feed her? What if she throws up? What if what if and um, people. It, it's, paradoxically people who have had a lot of anxiety previously recognize it and know it and are a little bit more comfortable with it but at mm-hmm. the same time it's she's more they are more at risk to have more um, intrusive anxiety probably having more scary thoughts and, mm-hmm. and, and anxiety can sort of sort of with a, with a perinatal or postpartum mom, she can sort of, it can morph into like OCD-ish, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know I, I, honestly, I don't know that we, we really want to go into those kind of differential diagnoses, but you know, with, with OCD, it's, it's just more of that. It's more worry and it's, it's more intrusive. It interferes with, it interferes with functioning,
0: you know? No, it's interesting as you talk about this, I, when I started working in the perinatal community, I did not know a lot of this, but as I was more into it and and did more of my podcast and and research, it was so highlighted to me of, I saw this in my students. I saw Hmm. the constantly checking the diaper, constantly washing the hands. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't touch the baby until like a PRL was like, I saw this and I mm-hmm. started to create like a resource list. So clearly not for me to be you know, to try to counsel them, but just to offer support. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes the immediate circle may not even recognize this or just think it's either normal or they're having their own experience. So it's Well,
1: like, you know, exactly what you're saying, Deb, exactly, especially with anxiety slash slash OCD stuff, is that how are we as lay people supposed to know the difference between a mother who's worrying about, you know, or checking her baby to make sure she's sleeping, which we want to normalize? We all go in and go watch her tummy go up and down and then we go back to sleep. But are we doing it twice or are we doing it 35 times? And, you know, are we doing it every, you know, and so the, the, the number matters, but the problem is moms at home don't really know the difference. Is this okay or not okay? The constant worry and the racing thoughts and, and so forth, you know? So it is. that's why we always want somebody to go to a healthcare provider. But let me also point out that anxiety can manifest in very physical ways that may be really scary and unknown to some moms who have not previously had anxiety, you know, like palpitations and, um, shortness of breath and, um, could not just not feel good. I don't know what's wrong, but I just feel terrible, you know, mm-hmm. and people describe it like their skin's on fire or they want to crawl out of their skin. And, mm. and they just, you know, have to, they're, like I said, there's this restless sort of movement back and forth. And I feel like I'm having a heart attack. Am I really having a heart attack? Oh my God. What if I'm having a heart attack? So, so anxiety can be extraordinarily scary and, and paralyzing for some women and, and it doesn't help for doctors or friends or loved ones to say it's just anxiety.
0: You know? Right. Okay, now we're going to take a break. but we come back, I want to talk about postpartum stress syndrome. I didn't even know that was a thing until I started researching to talk to you. So that's a new thing we're going to bring up. Okay, we'll be right back.
2: Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands.
0: Okay, we are back. So, let's talk a little bit about postpartum stress syndrome. It's as I was looking at that, I was thinking, aren't all new parents kind of stressed? So, I guess what is that, and what are some of the warning signs, and what kind of help can someone seek for this? Kind of all of the
1: above. Okay, so in fairness, I, you know, I, I do need to say that postpartum stress syndrome is is a term that we coined in This Isn't What I Expected way back in, oh gosh, 1994. I'm sorry. Okay. That sounds so scary to even say out loud. <laughs> Doc- <laughs> Jeez. Um, Dr. Uh, Valerie Raskin Davis, my co- co-author with that with This Isn't What I Expected, we talked about postpartum stress sy- syndrome and named it this, which is really just another word for uh, adjustment disorder in terms oh. of diagnostic um, Definitions. Okay? okay, and an adjustment disorder, as you probably know, is is sort of in between everything's fine and a, you know the presence of a clinical depression. An adjustment to motherhood, adjustment to the transition of the, the the role and expectations. What we see most common is that there's just this overwhelming, profound need to be to do things as to be the best mother she can be, and which translates way too often as I need to do this perfectly and there's only one way to do this and she's doing it better than I am and I'm failing and I'm not a good mom. And so it just sort of um, creates this impossible, unrealistic expectation for her that's accompanied by self-esteem issues and, again, you know, she comparing herself. To, we call it the playground syndrome, you know, like mm-hmm. she's wearing red lipstick and, you know, and, and cute leggings. And I'm like practically in my pajamas and I haven't washed my hair in six days, you know? So that's what, that's what we refer to There's It's not somebody that quote needs therapy or needs medication or needs medical intervention, but she's sort of on the precipice of, not being terribly self compassionate not taking good care of herself and and sort of um hyper focusing on being a mother what it looks like instead of enjoying it feeling it experiencing it, th- it with her baby so she it does sort of put her at risk i mean any adjustment disorder if left un cared for potentially can develop into something else, but it doesn't mean that it does. It just means that support is, would be helpful at this time.
0: So if someone does that, first of all, I love that name, the playground syndrome, because I very much, you say that. And all of a sudden my brain went back to, we had these little tot lots up in the Upper West Side. And I remember being there with like my one-year-old and then as he got older and then my second child and having that moment of like comparing yeah. myself to others and you were right there was moments I'm like I am one step out of my pajamas and these yeah. others look great so it yeah. just really it hit home and yeah. I think I'm not the only one that will resonate with that
1: well d- by the way that doesn't go away and <laughs> it the re- doesn't <laughs> the reason I'm telling you that and I hope to goodness, gosh, my, my daughter isn't listening to this or my son, because when I talk to clients and they tell me, Oh, you know, Oh yeah. You know, my three-year-old is reading and and doing this. And and she's, she's having these conversations with me. And I'm like, what is wrong with all of my grandchildren? right? (laughs) Right? And I sit here and I'm like, stop it. Stop it. Don't do that. You know, we all do this. Yeah, We, We compare ourselves, we compare our partners, we compare our children, we compare, and it, doesn't necessarily get better what gets better is our response to it and our response you know we learn how how to recognize these thoughts that are not helpful or in fact that are hurtful Mm -hmm. and we say and we learn to say no 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 don't do that (laughs) and then we do something else instead
0: yeah. I think for me, it's, it's, I'm going to make myself sound a little old. It's age. And I'm like, I don't have the time or brain space yeah. to compare myself quite as much. And I mean, I definitely still do. Okay. We're digressing. So. <laughs> I, just, <laughs>
1: I, I can do that well.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I was looking at, I don't remember which. you have a couple books. It's one I was looking at that has like, Um, animations or or cartoons. And I thought that was really interesting. So you talk about some different situations and scenarios in there. So based on that, because it was inspiring, what are some common situations or scenarios that new parents may find themselves in where they may feel alone or isolated or overwhelmed and anxious? And what are some ways to address this and
1: help them work through those scenarios and feelings? So- don't be mad. I'm going to tell you about this book for a second because okay. because um, this is out of all the books I've written, and there have been fourteen. I want you to know that this book is the book that I am most proud of. Good moms have scary thoughts. The one you're talking about, yes, because. Um, it, because it does have the graphic illustration that is very sweet and relatable for, for moms who are overwhelmed. It's but, fantastic. But more importantly, yeah. yeah, it more importantly, it helps her say right? I'm not alone. Other people, it's put words into what a lot of moms are feeling and it empowers her to take care of herself and to find help and to get some support. And so it's not just like a book she has to sit down and read because who's got time to read. And this book is, uh, can really actually be, help her heal if she is, for example, geographically unable to get to someplace, you know, before Zoom, that was a little bit more, you know, um, of a problem, but it really can help fit women feel less alone. So back to your question, um, this you're looking for scenarios where she might feel isolated. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Me? So
0: what? So in the book, you did have like different, I guess, cart. Uh, I wanted to call them cartoons, not really they, cartoons. That's but, fine. That's okay, fine. Um, of different situations where someone yeah. might feel alone and isolated and overwhelmed, and then you had ways to address that. So what are some of the most common? Things that you're seeing amongst new parents, and what are some ways to support and address that?
1: Yeah, well, hmm. might need a few hours for this one. Okay, so <laughs> let's see. I don't know where you want to start. One would be uh, er- early on, would be sort of body image and what's happened to me, loss of self and sort of self esteem, and now I'm fat and tired and, you know, I haven't done my hair. And so there's just, a, you know, there are so many. I'm not sure I'm going to answer your question. There are so many. We, we, as a culture, we get so excited and we get so supportive of new moms having a baby, and then we moms have the baby, and then there are if you know, even when everything is good and baby's healthy and mom is healthy, we don't really think of motherhood as a time where there are so many losses one after the other, after the other, after the other, and the loss is the list of losses is just endless the you know loss of self loss of appetite when you're you know loss of sleep loss of relationship loss of career loss of sexuality loss of self sense of self and self esteem and autonomy and all of those things friendships change so when I think of body image I, I just remember so many women when I was young coming in early on and just like showing me pictures of themselves before they had their baby and Mm. look how pretty I was and look how skinny I was and look how happy I was. And it's so sad to me, um, to sit with this and to see that becoming a mother can feel so heavy and can feel like such a loss. And, and, and that's something where, You know, again, at the playground syndrome, you see, you know, you you see moms like, oh, my God, isn't this the best thing that's ever happened to you? And so she says, yes, it is. And then she quietly goes home and feels misunderstood and misheard. And these are not women with clinical depression, necessarily. It's just... Doesn't feel the way it looks like it feels to everybody else, mm-hmm. you know. So that's so okay. Specifically, give me give me something else that you want. What do you? Well, what I kind like of... that. I like that one. So, what does someone do with that
0: when they feel that way? What does someone do with that? So they, when they... so they feel they have the issue of body image, or yeah. they're feeling it could even be isolated. Like I remember feeling isolated, even if I got my one or two kids, depending on what this was, because it happened a lot, got them out the door, got them to the tot lot a few blocks away. Yeah, And even though I saw other parents, it could still feel really lonely. And yeah. I think new parenthood really can, like we made the conscious choice not to move out of New York city until our kids were kind of out of that toddler stage. Cause I know they're you're home more and I knew I'd get depressed if I was really stuck in a house in the suburbs. So. I got myself, you know, we made that choice. I got myself out. I often felt, you know, a little better, but it can still feel really isolating having a child.
1: Right. Yeah. It. I have to tell you as a you know, just to put a negative, a more negative slant on that, it can be really isolating having a child, whether you're with pe- other people or not.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like I would get so, to the tot lot and I right. still look a little
1: lonely. Right. And and so the, the best answer to that is, is truly when we wrote good moms, it was based on the hashtag speak, speak the secret. And that we, we started on our website when we wanted to encourage moms to talk about how, how bad they felt, how scary their thoughts were. Um, We wanted to normalize that for them. And we wanted to address the isolation of having these feelings and these thoughts and thinking you're the only one that's had these feelings and these thoughts. So we put it on our website as a forum anonymously, and people started submitting these thoughts. You know, I feel like throwing my baby out the window. I feel like, you know, my husband isn't helping, and why did I get married? I feel, And some of the thoughts were, quote, you know, at this end of the continuum and some of the thoughts were at that end of the continuum and they needed a safe place where they could say it. So when Speak the Secret got bigger and more um, universally understood, that's when we created this book. And basically the answer to your question is we want people to speak the secret. We want you to tell somebody how you feel. Mm -hmm. so that you can either get it normalized or get the help that you need. For example, another scenario that you're bringing to mind to me that's hugely stigmatized is postpartum anger and rage, you Mm -hmm. know? And um, you're so lucky if I'm not cursing on your podcast. Okay, (laughs) so I'm trying so hard not to. But um, so women who are... Again, overly tired, overly exhausted, overly mental, you know, mentally overloaded. And the baby is screaming or the toddlers are screaming and, you know, wh- whatever scenario there is, they reach a breaking point and they scream or they cry or they say, you know, they they say things that they wouldn't normally say. And they feel feelings that they've never felt before. Take the baby away from me now to keep the baby safe. Know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and we have those cartoons where we're just like, take the baby now, take the baby now. I don't know which part you didn't understand, but take the baby now. And so again, we want to normalize that, that that, happens. But at the same time, we want to make sure moms can identify those moments and protect themselves and protect their babies and keep everybody safe and then go go outside and scream or go, you know, all, all those things that we know, like, you know, go exercise and st- or, or scream into a pillow and so forth. But we don't want her to feel so out of control that nobody's ever felt this bad or is there something else really wrong with me? And most of the time, it's really just an accumulation of stress,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: and um, and not having sufficient either not having sufficient support or not having sufficient outlets for her overload of stress. But there are such scenarios like that that are so isolating and shameful. Women would do not want to tell their mothers or their best friends that they that they screamed at their three month old last night. Mm-hmm. You know one of the other car one of the other comic cartoons is um her looking at, I think I don't have anything in front of me, but her looking at her baby after having that episode and just saying, I'm so sorry. I'm such a bad mother. And I love you. And I I didn't mean to yell. And I didn't, you know, you know what I mean? And, and, and the, the shame coming out between her and her baby, and I'm trying to be a good mom and I'm trying to love you as best I can, you know? So there's just so many complicated emotions that we really want to normalize. And again, I need to emphasize that fine line between saying, it's okay that you're feeling these things, but if you're worried, that's not okay, and we, st- you still need more support. You still need more support if you're feeling feelings that f- begin to feel out of control. So while it's acceptable, there are still things we can do to help you feel better.
0: So some of those things would be talking to a therapist, finding a support group, if possible, getting more help. Is that exactly the the line? Okay.
1: Exactly. If, if any of these things feel like I'm not getting enough help or nobody understands how I'm feeling or my frequency, intensity, and duration is too high, is interfering with the way I feel, I can't function the way I'm used to functioning. Then, yeah, then we're talking about, like we said before, first we would try self-help Make sure you're sleeping and getting exercise, getting outside and taking good care of yourself. Self-compassion. Am I being kind to myself or do I hate myself when this happens? Mm. Because that will make it worse. Mm -hmm. Self-compassion is sort of the underrated intervention. Mm. Women who get better at taking care of themselves and better at honoring how, how they really feel. Hey, I really need a day off, a night off, an hour off. And I deserve it, and I'm worth it, as opposed to powering through and making themselves sick. So, self compassion is really important. But it, you know, if if none of that's working, and and by the way, don't wait long. And by, by what I mean is, if you do that for a few days and you don't feel better, you you call your healthcare provider and and therapy. Now, you know, it, it, the the great news is that you know we've sort of normalized that, and there's more and more therapists who are are incredibly interested in, in in treating perinatal women post which is postpartum and and um, pregnancy and and they're getting really good good training and um, women are finding this a very safe place again maybe I don't have a diagnosis and maybe I don't have a clinical depression or anxiety but maybe I just need to talk about how hard this is and it's harder now than this is good, you know. Ever,
0: yeah, yeah. No, this is great. Now you mentioned something about scary thoughts. So, can you help identify which thoughts might just be common thoughts, and which then it crosses to scary
1: thoughts? I can, I can, and and it may not be what you think. Okay, because, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, it's so. No, this was so interesting to me um, when I started first reading more about this because it actually. When you look at the continuum of scary thoughts, so to what what you just said, Deb, what's, quote, normal scary thoughts, right? What if I drop the baby? That's, you know, we wrote a book called Dropping the Baby and Other Scary Thoughts, okay? That's one of the most, what if I slip on the steps and drop the baby? Mm -hmm. And what if the baby drowns in the bath? What if I slip while I'm holding the baby in the bath? What if, again, She's cold and she gets sick when I take her outside. Or so there's all these what ifs. And these are all very common, normal, universal. Then on the continuum, right? That's sort of like we expect new moms to feel those things. Then in the continuum, there are scarier thoughts. What if something really bad happens to the baby? And I don't want to be, I'm not going to be graphic here, but what if something really bad happens to the baby? Traffic's coming. Oh my God right? That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, What? And then on the further end of the continuum is what if I do something bad to the baby? What if there's some intention? What if I want to hurt my baby? What? What kind of monster would I be? Wait, is that possible? Could I hurt the baby? What if I sexually touch the baby? What if I, could I bless the baby, right? So all of these thoughts that I'm telling you right now no matter whether they are over on the left of the continuum or all the way over here, which you can't see me doing, but it's Mm -hmm. all the way over here on the right, really scary, really violent, really bloody, really bad. Mm -hmm. They are not worse than the other, okay? the, The worst scary thoughts you can imagine are not scarier to me clinically. They are to mom who's experiencing it. It's very scary to her but i'm not worried about the the intensity of that because if i assess that these thoughts are anxiety driven which is easy to assess if you understand that if mom says oh my god how can i have these thoughts i'm such a horrible person that tells us these that these thoughts are are um, egodystonic right mm-hmm. this is not who i am and that means they're anxiety-driven, and that means even though you're uncomfortable with them, I'm not worried that anything bad is going to happen. We worry when the thoughts are egosyntonic, and she doesn't think there's anything wrong with this. Mm. Okay? And that's associated with more psychotic thinking, and you know, with psychosis we, we talk about a, a lack of um, ability to differentiate what's real and what's not. And, and that's scary and it, it, it's scary for all involved. It's scary for mom, it's scary for loved ones. and it, it requires immediate intervention, usually medical intervention, usually hospitalization because she really can't tell the difference and she may she may mis, misconstrue that something she thinks she's doing to help the baby could actually not be helping the baby. So we want to get her um, ASAP aggressive help.
0: That's fantastic So what might that look like? like bringing her to a hospital getting in touch with one's care provider? Yeah it,
1: well it means it, yes I'll all the back okay yeah, it, she, she her health care provider and it usually does require hospitalization, some good medication and then we you know the prognosis is excellent um, for her to just be treated and be okay but we need to get her the support ASAP yeah.
0: So you've really laid out some great information about recognizing postpartum depression anxiety stress I mean so much but if somebody knows they might be prone to that because it was weird to talk about postpartum can be overwhelming exhausting isolating how yeah. can they prepare for this turbulence because bring, no matter how well, i think someone's you know if they're like oh i'm going to love this or whatever right. it is it's very disruptive even in the best of scenarios, to bring a baby. And it really changes the whole dynamics in the house. So how can someone prepare for this? What kind of support system should they try to set
1: up ahead of time? Well, I love the way you just described it because the way you just described it, if you were talking to somebody who's pregnant and she heard you describe it, she'd be like, wow, I better expect some crazy <laughs> days and nights here. This is horrible. And, and honestly, you know, expecting it to be You know, not like the fairy tale, you know, is is one of the first things on the list is to recalibrate your expectations and and to understand that it is going to be challenging in those ways. So you're 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 absolutely right. And to fortify her support. What does that mean? You know, um, how's her relationship? Do we need to address that? Does she have local support, family, friends in the area? Does she have access to resources? And certainly um, if she's at risk, meaning she's had depression in the past or her family, someone in her family has had depression in the past, those are the two highest on the risk factor list. So if she's had depression in the past or if a family member has had depression in the past when she's my client, we prepare for the possibility of depression to occur. And then she, we, we certainly hope it doesn't, but we, she will feel more prepared if it does. So what does that mean? If we expect that it might occur, what do we need to do now to help you be prepared? And, you know, we literally go down a list of, you know, um, who's going to be there to help you when you have the baby? Who's going to be there to help you two weeks later? What kind of relationship do you have? What kind of conversation do we have with your partner? Let's bring your partner in and talk about it. If your relationship with your mother is impaired, let's see what we can do to protect you from that right now. And we go in and we, and we literally just sort of try and uh, address everything that might you know possibly be a variable that's going to inhibit her healing in, in some way and, and help her feel less alone. And that uh, I've got your back, but that's somebody who's got a therapist looking out for her. Mm-hmm. If she, if she's on her own, she has to get good moms has scary thoughts. And then she has to talk to her um, partner about what she's worried about. Hey, I know we're just having a baby and everything's great, but let me tell you what, what's scaring me and what we need to do. And she needs to pull that partner in so that the partner um, is aware literally of what she may be afraid of how the shift in roles and responsibilities may impact them you know what kind of help do we need to get can we afford it there's a huge financial strain
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, and and again together what kind of support do we need to reach out for to to um, reinforce what's going to be a, chal- a a challenging time and and dads you know that's another whole podcast but you know, Dads are rarely prepared for how distressing and disruptive this is, and and the the level of you know anger and and some depression that that can occur that needs to be addressed. And it's it's hard it's hard on both. But I would say be informed, um, you know, recalibrate your expect to have reasonable expectations. Uh, you know, expect this to be a challenging time, Mm -hmm. um, set boundaries for goodness sakes, set boundaries. It's okay to say no. It's okay not to, you know, um, overextend Mm -hmm. yourself, ask for help and then accept it when you get help. That's hard Mm -hmm. too. It's hard to ask for it. It's hard to accept it. Um, but But really modifying expectations so that you understand that it's going to be difficult and trusting your instincts. Like I said before, I really trust a mom's instincts. If she's worried about something, she needs to speak the secret, right?
0: Yeah. It reminds me of like, what's up. my husband's a therapist. So we had uh-huh. some insight this way. So before we got married, we did like premarital therapy um, uh-huh. just to kind of connect and make sure we're all on the same page. And then we did the same thing before we had our first child, just to talk about some of our anxieties about what was going to happen. I don't think we did it enough, but... <laughs>
1: Well, actually, <laughs> yeah. oh, of course, you can never do it enough, right? <laughs> no, never. There's, oh, you ask every single question and cover every single thing, and there's always another question or another thing. But this is really not self um, – this is not shameless self-promotion, Deb. I really want people to know what resources are out there. And an old book of mine called What Am I Thinking? Having Another Baby After Postpartum Depression has a has – a, in the appendix, I don't know where it is, the Postpartum Pact. PACT mm-hmm. and it's a um like a two or three four page uh questionnaire that like you and your husband would have sat down perfectly and and done this when you've had a previous depression and you're preparing for a second a subsequent pregnancy but we find a lot of women who've not had a previous de- um pregnancy or previous depression find this tool to be very helpful because it says Here's what I need you to look out for. Here's what I need you to ask me. Here's what I need you to do. Here's what I need you not to do. Here's what worked last time. Here's what didn't work last time. And it it engages this dialogue for the two of you to have a very detailed and intimate conversation about what I need from you and what you need from me. Yeah, this It time. helped us just set up some expectations Yep, and it was, that was helpful. It still was very bumpy, but it definitely helped. Bumpy is, goes <laughs> with the territory. Right. Right.
0: All right. So we're going to take another break, but when we come back, what is one final tip or piece of advice you would like to offer new and expectant parents? We'll be right back. Okay. So we're back. So you can speak this as a parent. You can speak this as a therapist, wherever you want to pull from, what is one final tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new and expectant parents?
1: Well, I guess it's not going to be very creative if I just repeat what I said. (laughs) I want, I want them to be informed. I want them to expect the challenge, expect that it's going, you know, that that it may not go exactly the way they want it to go. I want them to ask for help and I want them to accept the help. That's really good. And I want them to speak the secret. I want them to let somebody know what they need. I appreciate that. Okay, where can people find your work? Because you've got so much of it. (laughs) Well then they can find it everywhere. They can find it everywhere. They can find us on postpartumstress.com is our website. Um, we do have tools on on the website for support, and we also have a um, a referral list for clinicians if they're looking for a, a therapist in their area who have taken our training. In addition to to support uh, Postpartum Support International, of course, they have a national um, listing also. And we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, Twitter, threads. Amazon, oh, I Amazon. forgot threads. Yeah, Amazon. All the books are on Amazon. Karen Kleinman. And, um, we have a a new one out called the perinatal patient, and that's got handouts for your, for your healthcare providers, for them to have, so they know what to do to take care of you. And we've got handouts for you so that you can also take care of yourself and your family. And we are really all about, or I am really all about empowering her to just, to just take a look, you know, take a look inside. Is this how I want to feel right now? Am I getting the help that I need? And if not, um, find the right place. And if you go to a place that doesn't feel right, then trust that it's not right. Then you go to s- someplace else. Cause like I said, more and more folks are getting specially trained for this. And we can, um, you, we want you to find a place that you feel safe in to talk about how you feel and get the help that you deserve.
0: Thank you, Karen. I so enjoyed our conversation. I think it's going to benefit so many people, people that are pregnant looking ahead, those that are postpartum going through this right now, those that might be considering having another baby after having some sort of PMAD. So thank you for all you have spoken about and all that you put out for the perinatal community. Thank you, Deb.
1: Thank you very much.
0: This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.
2: You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement.